0: You're listening to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast by Clear Capital. Each month, your co-hosts, Jeff Allen and Keenan Chen, will bring you compelling stories and revolutionary ideas from the people, companies, and institutions at the intersection of real estate, finance, and technology. Want to be a guest on the show or have an idea for an episode? Email marketing at clearcapital.com and let us know. And now here's the show.
1: Hello and welcome back to Clearcast, the real estate fintech podcast. This is episode 12. Uh, I am Jeff Allen, as always, joined by my friend, Keenan Chen. Keenan, how are you? I'm doing good. Hi, Jeff. Wow, you sound really happy. <laughs> That's either very fake or something really cool happened.
2: No, I'm doing good. We'll see how long it lasts.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's give okay. it a shot. Sweet. Well, we've got an action-packed episode today. Our special guest uh, at the end of the episode is Brian Zittin, who's the CEO and founder of Regora. We're going to be talking about all sorts of cool stuff with appraisals. Uh, we've also got a Tales from the Street segment, a returning Ooh. returning Tales from the Street guest laser beak i know you're oh, excited about that Keenan. Uh, i am very excited we'll have a joke of the pod that's also nice <laughs> and before that let's talk a little bit about appraisal stuff this is going to be kind of an appraisal centric episode uh so for most of our listeners you can now just uh, turn this off and delete <laughs> it uh but for the thanks for the...
2: thanks for joining appreciate you have a good day <laughs>
1: But for those of you like us who um, live and breathe uh, valuation and collateral, this will be a fun episode. Um, So uh, we're going to start by talking a little bit about uh, a topic we touched on briefly in the last episode, which is uh, the FHFA appraisal modernization RFI. Um, And this is a really important and cool inflection point um, in our industry in that the FHFA is looking for public opinion and feedback on potential changes to the appraisal process and appraisal policies Um, and so a lot of really good discussion Um, there's written responses that are due back by february 26th but yesterday february 11th um, there was a really cool live session um, where the fhfa invited folks to come and speak present their their feelings and data and opinions on modernization and other topics and keenan you were one of the speakers
2: was that was uh that was pretty pretty fun addressing you know the the government i actually had written remarks prepared yeah um usually i just kind of wing it so (laughs) (laughs) I i was actually prepared um no it was it was actually really good hearing the different uh viewpoints from um from from technology companies to appraisers, to trade organizations of appraisal, you know, organizations, um, uh, lenders, um, and, uh, you know, there, of course there was some, 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 uh, contrary, you know, viewpoints on it, but there was some,
1: there, yeah. yeah. You're putting it delicately.
2: There are some people that were, were, you know, not as thrilled as we are about some of the changes, especially when it comes to the solutions to what we, we think are, are the problems, which is things like capacity, you know, how long do appraisals take to get completed and, and how does that change when there's higher volume, like last year being a record year of loan volume, you know, we saw the turn times for appraisals rapidly increase. Um, I think even in a recent article this week, the CEO of of uh, United Wholesale Mortgage said that you know their biggest risk to loan turn times or loan closing is is ready, waiting for the appraisal. So yep. we know it's a we know it's an issue out there, um, and and there seemed to be a lot of at least agreement or or no one was really refuting the fact that there's an issue. With supply and demand, how many appraisers yeah. that that are actually available versus versus loan demand, but um, but how that should be solved is where a lot of the fireworks, you know, mm-hmm. um, started happening. And um, but you know, I, I think everyone's perspective is super valuable. Hearing from appraisers that are on the ground, you know, out there in the field, and what and what they see, you know, especially the, the nuance of. You know, different situations and things that, that they're working through um, but also what consumers you know really need so that they're not in a bad situation you know trying to um, get get a, a home right no one wants yeah. a, a mortgage they want a home um, so uh, so yeah super interesting and then also the the um, discussion around bias one of the things that the FHFA asks, in the RFI, is is there racial bias? Is there racial discrimination, you know, within the process? And there's some pretty compelling speakers um, yesterday on, you know, helping helping everyone understand the different types of bias that that there might be. You know, systemic, implicit, explicit, or you know, yeah. unconscious bias. Um, those sort of things. And um, to hear the whole industry speaking about it like like it's a serious issue that needs to be looked at that looked at that deserves attention that deserves Mm -hmm. analysis and careful thought and um and and the willingness to change as things get discovered i that i was pretty blown away and and, you know
1: yeah yeah Yeah, i i agree Um, the i think the expectation that some folks have had about how will the kind of appraisal community respond to these kind of perceptions that the appraisal process may be you know potentially racially biased in some way i think a lot of people anticipated that the appraisal community would be, would be reflexively defensive towards that and mm. essentially say no way you know that does, that never happens um mm. and the appraisal community i think is rightfully a, at least a little defensive in pointing to the fact that you know use pap specifically prevents them from doing things like that and they've kind of taken that code but they've also to your point been really open to the dialogue around mm-hmm. hey if it's if it's unknown if it's systemic let's explore what we can do about that um, so yeah. yeah i agree there's a lot of consensus on that
2: yeah yeah it, it makes it, it it makes one feel hopeful you know uh, not just for the appraisal profession but the, the fact that you know on, on a wide scale I think most people are willing to say hey if there's a problem here I'm willing to change I'm willing to think about it I'm willing to to um, see how I can make sure that those around me are treated fairly and, and equally like that's a good thing for the you know for the human race I guess
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, it, there's a lot of really good discussion happening in the appraisal space right now, um, which has typically been a fairly quiet beat, um, but it, it's picked up. And and we're really excited to have Brian Zitten on later uh, because he was one of the speakers as well um, at, during the RFI listening session. And, and I would say that Brian and Clear, and us at Clear Capital we're all pretty well aligned on what the future looks like um, and the value we can bring, um, you know, to the buyers conversation and to the modernization conversation uh Before we get into that, though, hmm. there is a joke of the pod that I could tell if you'd let me. I- I'm not going to stop you. Thank you. <laughs> Once again, this is an original joke. So there's this guy, and he is the VP of, like, let's say, mortgage operations at at some big bank, right? You know what I mean, like. Mortgagey stuff <laughs> like sure. he moved like he's not like a loan officer but he's like help his departments like move the funds around and process the payments you know stuff that lenders like have to do whatever that is yeah money, guy. No far? Yeah. money guy operation yeah. z accounting yeah. t stuff yeah sure yeah <laughs> and this vp of ops guy he's down in his cubicle he's checking his email he's doing white collar stuff Hmm. and he's got the, he's got a tv on in the background and the news comes across on as on the tv that there's actually a new richest person in the world just announced and get this super weird the new richest person in the world is the famous musician Cheryl Crow <laughs> okay. i mean that, that's weird that's, right yeah mm-hmm. that's super weird she's just been it's Cheryl Crow has just been named the world's most richest person and the and the vp of ops guy is like huh
2: is, is that think, is that happening now or is this joke in
1: 1996 <laughs> <laughs> this joke is timeless there's no beginning and no end uh so he's like that's weird let's say it's now okay uh because because i thought it was a two-way race between jeff bezos and elon musk like w- when in god's name did cheryl crow get so rich like, did a bunch of people download that Kid Rock song she did? Like, what what happened here? Uh, so, he keeps it, watching. Kid them. Rock song. <laughs> Look it up. Look up Cheryl <laughs> Crow and Kid Rock. Okay. Um, so the newscasters are reporting that the source of Cheryl Crow's massive wealth increase is actually a complete mystery. Like <laughs> out of nowhere, she has made hundreds of billions of dollars in just the last few months. Isn't that weird?
2: Huh? Mm-hmm. Did, did she buy GameStop stock?
1: <laughs> yes. This, that's the fudge line. <laughs> uh, so the mortgage VP worker guy, he's like, okay, well, that's weird, but I got to get back to work. So he gets back to work. Uh, just then racing down the hallway comes this boss. His boss is running at full speed towards him and yelling. What in the Sam heck is going on down here? We're getting reports from all over the country that our customers' property tax payments aren't being distributed to their local city governments. It's everywhere. People are freaking out. What did you do? This is your job, operations guy, to figure out where these funds go. <laughs> and so the VP of operations guy stops and says, that's crazy. We got to get to the source of this. I know. Let's go down and see my payments processor and we'll figure out what in the SAM heck is going on here. Okay. So they go to the VP of operations and the boss. They run as fast as they can across the big mortgage office building. They find the payments processor and they're like, dude, what in the Sam heck is going on down here? Why aren't our property tax payments getting to the local governments? Mm-hmm. And the processor stops and goes, hey, I don't understand the problem. You told me to send all the payments to escrow.
2: yes i i do i i do i do get it (laughs) at at gmail.com yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) the mortgage processor guy was like oh you wanted me to send these to cheryl crow (laughs) and so he's just been like venmoing her and like all the property tax payments of the whole bank have been sent to Cheryl Crow, and so she's now she's the richest person in the world. Gosh, fun
2: fact—that's fact. crazy. That is that is crazy. <laughs> fun fact. Yeah. The song "Every Day Is a Winding Road." Yes. Good song, right? Yeah. Uh, I have played the guitar that was recorded on that song because i was hanging out with the producer of that album what and and had the guitar that they recorded most of that album with there i got to play it
1: whoa man keenan you're way cooler
2: than me shout out to jeff trot
1: yeah yeah jeff trot thanks for hooking my guy keenan up with the every day is a winding road guitar there you go (laughs) that's super cool Um, also a little known fact she does have a song with Sheryl Crow it's called Picture and it was Hmm. released in 2001 on the Kid Rock LP Cocky oh I have no idea I want to hear it I put your picture Okay, we are joined now by a special guest. Um, we're going to do another segment of Tales from the Street. And this is a very special segment of Tales from the Street because we are being joined by the first ever repeat guest from Tales of the Street, the one and only Laserbeak.
3: Oh, yeah. It is an absolute honor to be on my all-time favorite
1: podcast. Complete honesty. <laughs> I I don't believe you, um, but uh, so as, as a reminder, uh, his birth name is Aaron Mater, but everybody calls him Laserbeak or Beak for short. He's a founding member of the Doomtree Hip Hop Collective, CEO and general manager of Doomtree Records, and has worked with a variety of different musical artists, including Lizzo, yes, that Lizzo. Laserbeak, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Truly don't own
3: another mug by a different <laughs> podcast. This is it. <laughs> And I clearly live at your guys' offices too, if you're if you're watching this on Zoom. <laughs> and I also live with another little pal of mine over here.
1: <laughs> Comes with me everywhere. Uh, so for the folks listening on audio, he is currently in a room with Bernie Sanders. It's incredible. I and mean, we not I don't know how we pulled it off, but yeah. we pulled it off. I don't know. It's crazy. No, no one has Obviously ever thought of doing something like value. that.
3: I know. <laughs> Really, really you guys boom. have really, clearly the podcast has been, has been going great. You guys are really kind of raking in the, the accolades uh, to be able to yeah. afford uh, podcast studios <laughs> and, and to be on the radar of one Bernie Sanders as well. It's impressive.
1: <laughs> we've come a long way, baby.
2: <laughs> we, we've been told <laughs> things like, like, you guys obviously don't know how to do a podcast and it's boring. <laughs> so we've got great fan feedback as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's that's what you want. (laughs) That's what you want. So welcome back. Um, We're having you back on because you recently had another mortgage experience uh, buying an investment property in Northern Wisconsin. Um, And we wanted to have you on to talk about that because um, we had a a great guest on our last episode, Neil Dingra, who is actually a, a mortgage officer in Reno. And he does these really unique things to try and drive people to his business, um, and kind of compete with the big dogs, right? Like you're, you know, people who just want to use like a direct portal online and get their mortgage that way. He's trying to compete and create this human experience. And so um, it it got us thinking, you know, I knew that you had used the same loan officer for all three of your most recent loans, and you are like a raving fan of this person. Um, Wow, I love it. (laughs) It's incredible, uh, and, and so we, we thought, hey, people in the mortgage industry are trying to figure out like how do we f- make raving fans, and we knew that you are a raving fan, so let's connect the dots here. Um, so smart. how did really yeah, how did yeah, hey, thank you so much. Uh, how did your loan officer and the experience you had with her turn you into a raving fan? What happened?
3: Well, uh, let me take it all the way back to the very beginning. Mm. Uh, a good friend of mine texted me and said out of nowhere, hey, you know, I just re- refied my house and you got to do it and you got to do it through this girl, Vanessa Frisch. She's the best. And so he's like, "And I'll, I'll link you. I'll put you on a text message with her. And I was like, a text message with a loan officer? It sounds crazy. Uh, so one that already got me. I was like, wow, this this is a cool person that I want to get to know. I have a cool friend who's like really vouching for her and looking out for my best interests. So that there's the intro, right? Uh, and then she just like responds right away via text. Like a cool person would just like, like it was no problem. Like she texts all the time. Mm-hmm. And that also threw me off a little bit. Um, we hopped on a call and she was, I was kind of just like struck by her. Um, she was able to lay things out in, in very good, like simplified normal person terminology and was also just chill and cool. And I know that's really hard to quantify, but like (laughs) not something I generally uh, would associate with like a loan officer or a a refi person or someone who works for a bank or whatever. Um, And I don't know, just felt a rapport. And then as we got into it, everything was made extremely easy for me, which I'm a big fan of. So, you know, it was like, hey, we have a portal. This is Vanessa Frisch at guaranteed rate folks. Okay. And if you do go to her, I'm going to need you to let her know that Aaron Mater uh, sent you because we're going to see if there's any kickbacks involved here. I did see a guaranteed rate commercial during the Super Bowl, so I have a feeling they might be a little bit flush with cash right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, um,
1: they can you know, they like, can sprinkle you off a little.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hitting the podcast circuit. You got to start yeah. with the big dogs and then you trickle down. Uh I, I just really, yeah, I felt a like a, a human connection, which I think is like lacking if I'm being honest in a lot of the the fields of your guys's industry, um, and that felt good. So I felt an, an immediate sense of like, um, oh, this person is like cheering for me and is going to like walk, hold my hand, and walk me through this, um, and then. Yes, it was very streamlined and in COVID times, obviously, there's not like, hey, let's come down to the office and blah, blah, blah. It was pretty like, okay, you have internet? Great. Send me these forms. I got an ongoing like uh, email anytime something was needed or was completed. There's like a, a task list. Um, and then, I don't know, then it was done. I mean, I talked about this on the last, the last episode yeah. we did together, guys. Uh, but of how <laughs> like beautiful it is to just have someone come to your house and be like, sign here and it's done. Um, with the, with this investment property, my family's always wanted a cabin. And so we decided to go in with my sister and her family with the idea that we would like Airbnb it out enough to cover the mortgage and then get a a free family cabin out of the deal. That's theoretically the idea. And there were more hurdles, you know, it was in a different state. There were more things they needed. There was also two, you know, a total of four people on the loan um, they couldn't even find the address cause it's in the middle of the, of the woods of Northern Wisconsin, Western Wisconsin. Um, but throughout the whole thing, she also has a cabin. And so she was able to like impart some wisdom on, you know, she was able to recommend like a real estate lawyer to help drop the Airbnb negotiations. Mm-hmm. And, and she was really upfront about making sure that the four of us, since we were family, were going in on it and covering our bases and having an agreement between us. Cause she, you know, she was like, the first person that mentioned like well what if one of you guys gets divorced then what? what like just like the basic stuff that she didn't have to do to get our money or to get our mm-hmm. business um and i really think that went a long way with the trust factor and i literally want to like drink a beer with her she came <laughs> so for the the signing she actually was like you know what i'm gonna mask up and come down because we actually had to be in person for that for the cabin just to just because she was like i just feel like i've gotten to know you guys now so well i just want to like drop off a gift and you know what that gift was i think you know jeff
1: i know but i I, yeah tell them about okay. the cups
3: all right all right it was cups it was a lot of cups with her name on it <laughs> And it was great and those cups <laughs> have come in real handy at the cabin you know, we got, up yeah. we, didn't, we forgot to bring coffee mugs and then we were like, oh, we have two like insulated coffee mug cups that's even us a fresh of guaranteed rate on them.
1: Nice.
3: <laughs> think but, of all the not... cups,
1: <laughs> you know, think of all the cups you didn't have to buy. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? One of those cups
3: was a, was a boat cup. It's one of those plastic cups that can keep cold or hot things in it, but that's not like a, a just a coffee mug cup. And she was. She specifically was like, "These are great for, for the pontoon rides. We make your boat cocktails." Another reason why. I feel very safe in her hands. She drinks cocktails on boats.
2: She understood <laughs> your. She understood obviously, you know, your interests, and, um, you know, what would make you feel happy. You know, so she she got to know you a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Well, well I'm curious. What well, what was different about the investment property process. I mean obviously you had other other people involved, you know, that you're doing this with and, and all of that. But was the actual kind of you know documents and and all those step-by-step things, was that similar to to the refi that you did or was it pretty different?
3: It was actually it was pretty it was the same system, which I also appreciated, right? So it's like, okay, I'm familiar having done the two refinancing things with them before I was familiar with the the online system and the portal and they actually already had all of me and my wife's information for the most part that they needed I think we had to get them one more financial document but it was all on uh on file so I didn't even have to do anything for the most part you know my sister obviously had to populate that um the checklist was the same so we could see in real time what they needed so there was no like oh I think I got you that or whatever it was just like kind of automated um and then it was really just more about because it was a new property, like um obviously having to set up the inspection and, and things like that. But man, it was really easy.
2: Hmm. So so Again, you like the, maybe too you easy. You like the you like the tech and the human touch. You kind of want your cake and eat it too. That's what I'm hearing.
3: Without question. I think that sums me up in a nutshell. Um, yeah, I wanna like <laughs> I wanna know. When I have a specific question, or if I'm feeling apprehensive or um, unsure, that I can immediately talk to someone that I have already talked to, and I also don't want to spend extra time doing anything because time is money, baby, and none of us have enough of it. So, it's like, yeah, and, and so this like made it, it. It was a perfect balance, right? So like when it's when it's go time, I want to just get the work done. And so that's that's the portal. That's like, okay, here's my task. This isn't going to be fun. Let's just knock it out. And then when it's like, wait, hey, have you ever actually like rented out your cabin to anybody? Do you have any idea how to drop a thing? And she's like, yeah, actually, I know this guy and I'm going to intro you to him right now and he's going to mm. get you sorted. Like there was that too. So I think I really yeah. think that's, that's so helpful if, if it's possible to, to have both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which clearly, Vanessa Frisch, a guaranteed rate does.
1: <laughs> and um, so now you are an investment, a vacation investment property owner. I mean, I know it's early. You're only a couple months in here, but how's it been going so far? What are the ups and downs to the Airbnb life? <laughs> it's a lot of downs, Jeff. It's
3: a lot of downs <laughs> right now. Uh, I got the, <laughs> <laughs> you want the, the honest truth. Um, you know. Well, today, we'll just use today as an example. We're just kind of having the, uh, like, everything's going wrong at once thing. We just started renting it out to people. And today was the, yesterday, the first renters that we didn't actually know came. Before, it's been like my sister's friends, or we've been able to kind of fill it in. And we've we've been working on it since the beginning of the year. So, you know, we knew there were things that we needed to do, and we've been checking those off the list. And then we got a call this morning that, like, the whole place smells like sewage, and the the renters are leaving uh, oh. because the handyman guy that we found in Birchwood oh, hooked Birchman. up the the washer and dryer wrong or whatever, and so like the you know this the sewage smell is coming up from the thing, and so we had to refund these people their whole like four day stay. So that part's not going great. Um, but within a month we're going to iron out all the kinks and I was not like naive to think that this wasn't going to be like, I knew this was going to be hard. So those calls are unfortunate and we're doing everything we can to just like make it up to whoever, but, um, but I'm getting a taste of like what it, what it really is, is. And, and, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I was kidding myself. I knew this, there'd be all sorts. Of, and, and specifically Jeff and his wonderful wife, Allison, uh, let us know as also cabin owners in Western Wisconsin, that like stuff breaks, things go wrong. So, um, it's not deterring me, but it's not like a cakewalk. I don't foresee mm-hmm. this becoming like my new, um, line of work, you know, just like <laughs> buying a billion Airbnbs and doing it. It's like, it's kind of annoying. There's a texture there that is just like never ending with me and my sister and my wife, uh, about stuff that needs to get done.
2: I, I thought but you were going to say, we were uh, having I thought you were going to say, call... Jeff... <laughs> say, Jeff's the guy that hooked up the, uh, the washer dryer wrong for you
3: oh man i mean i can't imagine the amount of sewage that would be spewing up from from our our basement if jeff had attempted to hook i would i would find a
1: new vein of sewage somehow to get it stronger yeah stronger sewage
3: yeah it would have been obliterated it would just be there would not be a cabin any longer just melted (laughs) by sewage uh So, yeah, but, you know, like, so, so I don't think it's going great, but I'm still happy that we did it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know? Yeah. You got the right attitude. You're working out the kinks. You know, you're, 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 you're going to, you know, learn from these mistakes. And it it certainly wasn't Vanessa Frisch from Guaranteed Ray's fault. God, no, no. (laughs) She's the last person I blame for this.
2: Well, as... As always, in our long history together of of doing shows, um, that was uh, insightful. And we really appreciate the time and sharing your stories with us. And uh, we can't wait till you buy your next property so we can have you on again.
3: I just got to say it's a true honor, guys. Um, You know, as a lifelong fan of the podcast, it is uh, (laughs) almost daunting to uh, to think of of what I would actually do had I ever get if I'd ever get the opportunity to be on my favorite podcast what would I say um, you know how would I handle it how would I keep my cool and to now have been on twice and survived uh, to live the tale and also to know that there's a potential for a third invite is, is um, eternally gratifying for me and so you've really done you've done a lot of good here
2: well keep, keep. <laughs> keep keep buying those houses
1: keep buying those houses and find a different sewer hookup guy next time
3: yeah yeah i'll do that words, I'll, I'll words keep you to live by. yeah i'll get maybe like every maybe like a twice a month update on kind of how the cabin's going for you guys. yeah how often are you doing the podcast again is it twice uh, a we month?
1: could we could increase it to twice a month just to get the cabin update for sure yeah okay great Okay, we are joined now by Brian Zittin. Did I pronounce that right?
0: Yep, perfect.
1: All right, nailed it. Um, and Brian is uh, the found, one of the founders of Regora, um, which is a real estate appraisal platform. Uh, and a really interesting story, during his senior year at Boston University, uh, Brian, along with his friend Will Denslow, skipped class uh, to work on a brokerage firm that used algorithms, algorithms to source deals selling $5 million in real estate total. Hyped by that success and having identified inefficiencies in the home buying process, they founded Rigora to automate the real estate appraisal process. Welcome, Brian.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. So let's dig into this
1: uh, origin story. Um <laughs> What was the flashbulb moment for you that made you realize you wanted to get into real estate appraisal technology? That's not like a common thing for a senior in college to get excited about.
0: Yeah. So we were doing the brokerage thing, that, as you mentioned, and um, it, yeah, we we sold a bunch of properties, but like uh, the brokerage um, business model is super tough, as I'm sure you guys know. Um, And the way that we were doing it with these algorithms was basically we had the contact info of like every single property owner in Massachusetts. So we targeted two to 10 unit multifamily property owners cause we wanted to sell kind of like, um, you know, investment deals to investors versus consumers sort of thing. And so we were just sending out thousands of emails to everyone in Massachusetts who owned a two to 10 unit building. Hey, do you wanna sell your property? Hey, you wanna sell your property? Eventually you run out of people to email. So it wasn't <clears throat> the most scalable business model. It wasn't like we were like fostering deep relationships or like building this expertise. You know, we were really like 22 year olds, no facial hair, looked like absolutely noobs. You know what I mean? Like the, <laughs> the, the only reason that we were selling these buildings is because like we happened to find the guy that was moving to Florida or or that sort of thing. Mm. And so it just wasn't like scalable and we didn't want to like just start up a regular brokerage. Um, and so we were looking for different problems. And then as I, you know, as we were selling one of these buildings in and Appraiser, you know, you know, using the clipboard sort of thing, really manual. They were asking me for comps. Um, even though I was, Ooh. you know, rep- representing the size of the thing. Um, so we're like, okay, let's dig into that. And then I'm sure as you two know, appraisers love to talk about their problems. And so it was really <laughs> easy to kind of learn about all the challenges that were going on for them. And so, uh, really I started just driving out to like appraisers homes and, and shadowing them, watching them use all the mode, ACI, things like that to create the forms. Um, so when we first started, we actually started with form software. Uh, we were like, oh, we'll, uh, you know, build a better form software because, you know, they had to go from MLS data and assessor data manually type back in. We wanted to build something that, you know, had all that kind of in, a, in the cloud and autofill. Um, and then, you know, as we were doing that, we, you know, it's hard to get an appraiser who's been doing the same thing for 20, 30 years to change. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and also when when we zoomed back and started learning more about appraisal, we kind of learned about the larger problem of you know turn times and the logistics and all that not just the creation of the report so it wasn't like a eureka thing we just kind of stumbled into it uh kept learning more and more about it and then you know zoom forward three years um i know a decent amount of about appraisals at this point so um so yeah we just kind of you know right time right place sort of thing
2: wow so so in that first year um (laughs) give us kind of a a sense of like something that where you're like that can't be true like that just can't be you know what's the norm here and and there's got to be a better way than than that
0: there there's a lot of those to be honest i mean the you know even the just reconciliation process of what an appraiser has to do in terms of data and things right you know this this assessor database includes the basement square footage that one doesn't so now they got to call the broker and like just the sheer kind of fragmentation and you know legacy technology throughout the entire process was was mind-boggling and we Mm -hmm. actually ended up shadowing um an amc who used one of the you know legacy systems out there today and you know these guys were processing thousands of orders through it. like wow i cannot believe that this is you know how it how it works and how it looks and sort of thing um so i think you know that was that's one of our advantages of kind of like not being directly from the industry and having a super you know is kind of realizing where the areas of improvement can be and um you know just visualizing it in a little bit of a different way so there's, there's a bunch of those things not just an appraisal all, all over mortgage you know what i mean yeah, yeah.
2: how, how obviously- did you oh, i'm just curious like how you went from that though from thinking about the appraiser to then turning your attention to to lenders and and yeah you know, well where did that pivot happen
0: well well we started we were talking to them about all their problems right and so it wasn't just about creating the form it was okay what else your problems oh we don't like you know working with these people because it's difficult to interact with them through this way or I hate how the lender is constantly broadcasting orders in this particular way. And so then we started shifting focus and, and started interviewing lenders as well. And they had good similar problems in terms of, you know, their overall management of the appraisal. So it was literally just a okay, you say they have a problem, let's go talk to them. So we I talked to probably like close to a hundred appraisers, bunch of different people in the banking industry, you know, AMC folks. Uh, and then it just slowly kind of absorbed it over time. Um so it was, yeah. Like, there's not, you know, when I give the, you know, VC pitch, it's like one sexy master plan, right? But, it, it you know, it was, it was a, an aggregation of, you know, new insights over time, and it kind of started to form a picture.
1: So, how many years have you guys been at it at this point now?
0: So we graduated in May of 2017. So it's been, we started, you know, we were doing the brokerage since September of 2016. And then we really started doing appraisal kind of summer after we graduated. So it's been, um, yeah, like three and a half years, a little over three years. Awesome. Awesome. So still pretty, you know, fresh by appraisal industry standards.
1: And I mean that in a good way. Um, You guys are still like, you know, on the upward growth trajectory. And um, on that subject, you guys recently secured some additional funding uh, for your company's growth. Congratulations. That's awesome um so uh that obviously opens up some big doors for you tell us more about what the the next few years holds for you what do you have planned
0: yeah so yeah to your point we just raised 30 million dollars we raised about 45 million dollars total um and you know in mortgage tech it just requires lots of investment right it's like big enterprise technology there's tons of complex workflows different integrations all over the place right so it just takes a little while to build that stuff out and we you know over the last two years we've really kind of honed in on what we think is like a, a really solid technology platform. It's, you know, introducing new things in the industry. Now with this $30 million, now we're going to get to start doing a lot of the cool stuff. You know, we, we made appraisal 1.0 better. Now it's time to bring it to appraisal 2.0. So some of the things that, you know, Keenan and I were talking about in the RFI hearing the other day, in terms of some of these newer technologies, you know, the North star for us is to really reduce turn time so we say we want to bring two-day appraisals to the industry and so you know anything that we're you know to get us to that point is, is what we want to focus on
2: I think um, well i mean yeah let's talk about that yesterday you know it seems like the, the the fhfa rfi you know has really come out of that problem turn times and i think you mentioned yesterday that that turn times have been uh growing they've been getting longer during during 2020 and um and so they're going the wrong direction right now right so so what is it that gets us to a two-day turn time how you know do you think it's just capacity or, or are there other major you know roadblocks um to get there
0: i think um the capacity question is is an interesting one in that it's hard to say right um because Think about like an Uber style marketplace where you're matching, you know, demand with supply at a particular place at a particular time. It's very similar in appraisal, right? Where you have this property that you need to get a third party person to and coordinate on. And um, you know, we have a very fragmented industry. Um, even the largest players don't have, you know, a majority of the market share, right? So it's it's difficult to say whether that whole logistics coordination is as efficient as possible, right? If there was one giant Uber style player is the 40 some thousand appraisers that we have today sufficient maybe right it's going to be a long time till any of that happens though and so until we get to that point there's clearly a capacity problem like what other area of technology do you know that has gotten worse in the last 10 years you know what i mean so um from a from an output standpoint and so what what we think the answer to that is and what was alluded to by not just us you guys and others on the on the call is like how do we increase that supply of the people who can actually go fulfill these transactions or some part of the transactions. And I stole your metaphor, Jeff, that I think I actually heard on this podcast of the whole surgeon, you know, thing. Um, And so, you know, my point during the RFI was we, the difficult part is that the ultimate people who are establishing these standards are the people who are kind of the final underwriters, which is in this case is like the GSEs, right? The FHFA, the GSEs. And so until they say, this is what inspection or the quality of data, or this is the result we're looking for. It's hard to determine what that can be, right? So we need them to kind of tell us, okay, this is what we're looking for. All right. Now that we know that now we can start experimenting and say, okay, well, let's try it with this workforce and see if they can hit the mark, you know, and if they can, then, you know, they're approved. Right, so the the metaphor that I use was like passing a driver's test, and so the problem is we don't have the guidelines of this is what the driver's test is for completing inspections yet, and so I think hopefully that's what uh, happens soon, and then once we have that, then we can bring in more supply into the industry, improve the you know the turn times, logistics, and kind of make it better for everyone involved.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and the on the subject of non-appraisers being involved in property data collection you'll often hear um, a lot of hysteria about, you know, what type of people will be allowed to do property data collection. Um, And I'm sure you've heard this, uh, this fake metaphor too, Brian, because I know Keenan and I have heard it a bunch of times is they're just going to let Uber drivers inspect properties. I've heard that like 50 times, I swear. Um, And I think, you know, to, to, to your point um, it is, highly unlikely that random Uber drivers will soon be inspecting properties um, that probably doesn't align to what the driver's test qualifications would require. Um, but as long as we have a sense for what the driver's test requires, um, you know, it's, you, both you and us feel like we're pretty confident there's people out there who can pass those test conditions. Um, so um, as you guys think about, you know, modernization and, and um, what the future looks like, do you see that hybrid model being um, uh, accepted by the appraiser community or is there, is there still resistance?
0: I mean, I think it's going to be forced, you know, like what, if that's what the industry, uh, obviously you, you know, there, there needs to be cooperation for it to work well. Right. But, um, it's funny, you know, the industry has kind of like a prisoner's dilemma, if you're familiar with that whole thing, where, you know, um, you, people can either cooperate and like stay strong or eventually some people cave, which makes other people have to cave and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. So um, you you see, you know, posts all the time and like appraisers forums and things like that about, you know, um, Oh, if we just stop accepting orders at this fee, then we can like raise up the fees for the industry. And it never really works out, right? Because that that kind of coordination is very, very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I think Keenan alluded to that you guys have seen and that you know is inevitable is that people, some people do prefer doing desktop appraisals. Like if you can make equivalent amount of money or even more and have an easier time doing that, then you know that's a no-brainer, right? So I think as more and more people adopt it, it'll start kind of getting the snowball effect, especially as hybrids end up having better SLAs than full appraisals, right? So I I think that there'll definitely be some pushback in the beginning and then you Mm -hmm. know over time, I think there'll be more and more acceptance if they can nail the inspection part, right? Like if if that part uh, ends up completely blowing up, then I think there could be a significant amount of pushback. Same, similar thing for one of the things is, you know, figuring out all the liability right? They, they need to make sure that the proper accountability is in place to make it so that appraisers are comfortable and clear in terms of, uh, you know, them feeling good about taking on these types of transactions and stuff. So I think it'll take some time, but I'm, I'm very optimistic about it.
2: Yeah. 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 We are too. And I, I, I want to, um, give you a chance to talk a little bit about your, your customers and, and how you, you know, work with, work with lenders, the other side of the coin. Um, You know right now i with the the record volume going on and um and um the 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 immense focus on just keeping up with 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 production i I would imagine you're running into a lot of lenders that are saying we don't have the time to worry about introducing new technology or or or, you know doing something different here um uh you know we'll we'll get to that but it's kind of like this catch-22 it's like if you're too busy to invest then when you, you know, when you're in downtimes, you don't have the money to do it. Like when, are, when are you going to, you know, update your, your approach when it comes to logistics and, and streamlining? So how do you, how do you help lenders, I guess, you know, tackle the, the doing something different, you know, with, with technology, especially if they already have legacy systems that, that they're dealing with too, like the loan origination
0: system. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, there's a few things. First is, this is not, not as big of a deal as like an LOS or POS ripout, right? The appraisal, although very complex, is not like as massive of a project to take on as something like that. And we actually implement most of our customers in like sub 100 days. Um, and, and mainly that's because we have fostered great partnerships with the key loan origination systems out there. And so it's relatively straightforward to do that rip and replace with some of these legacy technologies. And so for sure, probably in like April when, you know, things were like the most unprecedented time, tons of uncertainty, ridiculous amount of volume. We for sure got people saying, don't talk to me right now. I don't care what. if you could turn water to wine, just get it, like, you know, go away from me. Um, but we saw that also I think people were a little shell-shocked in terms of realizing how weak their processes were, right? When you get stress tests like that, um, it unveils a lot of holes in processes, right? So people came out of that realizing, oh, my God, we, are, we need to make our appraisal process better um, because it was significantly delaying pipeline and things like that. So the second half of 2020, we had I mean, we, we signed the most deals we've ever signed. And um, Kevin Prenio who is chief lending officer, one of our customers, PRMG, he made a great point on one of the, his LinkedIn videos that he put out, which is the, the cycle has been interesting because most lenders are, you know, they gear up for the big summer, spring, and then they taper down in terms of capacity, and then they, then they have to ramp back up. What happened this year is that lenders are ramped up already, even through the, the fall and the winter, right? So we're going into that heavy period, and they're already ready to go ramped up with, with staff. So the, they're actually, you know, right now is a key time to be doing technology initiatives. Then people are actually kind of available to do that because they're, they've, they've been weathering the storm. So, um, so I think that, yeah, it's just on you as a vendor to make it easy enough to implement. And, um, and then, you know, otherwise it's just an excuse from the lender standpoint. That's great. So um,
1: yeah, to, to close us out, you know, we ask, a lot of our guests, this question, um, what do you see as the biggest trends coming in the future here? Put on your prognostication hat. Um, what does the next, uh, one to two years in appraisal look like?
0: I think, um, it basically really, a lot of it hinges on kind of the results from this RFI, right? If they, um, end up coming back towards the latter half of this year with, um, clear guidelines i think it's gonna we're gonna see an exploit Keen and i were just joking before this the new hot thing right now is like e-closing right like everyone jumped on that during covid a remote online notarization all that if the rfi comes back positive and we get some clear guidance on that i think there's gonna be a similar boom in appraisal like that where everyone is just you know like it's do or die you know like if you don't then you're gonna get fall behind sort of thing so if that comes back then I think there's going to be a serious uh, rush for hybrid appraisals, alternative products, inspections, all that sort of stuff. Um, if it doesn't, I think it's you know st- going to be very similar in terms of how do you continue to make appraisal 1.0 better, you know review, underwriting improvements, uh, logistics improvements, things like that. So um, that's that's the that's the unfortunate part about us is that we are beholden to you know, our, our industry gatekeepers a little bit. And so we can continue to innovate within our box, but until they expand that, I mean, you guys have done a great job in terms of helping to push that boundary. Right. But I'm sure you guys have had to kind of, um, spend more time exploring it and doing that. Like you guys kind of had to eat the time, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I'm sure you'll be well-prepared for when Mm -hmm. things go, but that's kind of the, the problem with them not giving clear guidance. So, you know, how off to you guys appreciate you, you know, helping lead the way on some of that stuff. And same thing for us, right? Like it's a, anytime you're a big company dedicating product roadmap to pushing the bounds of innovation, there's a risk that it might not work, you know? Sure. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's exciting time. And I think, I think our investments will pay off soon. Yeah. I, we, we hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you, you know, to your point, um, skating to where the puck is going rather than where the puck is to overuse mm-hmm. uh or to use an overused business uh phrase you know is key and there is risk to that though um and and knowing that you might skate towards where you think the puck is going and then the puck doesn't go there and you fall flat out of your face that's part of the deal mm-hmm. um so uh good to have another kindred spirit on the rink Ooh, did you hear that that's, that's, not, <laughs> bad. There you go. that's not bad i wrapped <laughs> that up pretty good
2: really brian you just you just gave jeff like like enough positive reinforcement to keep going and and feel okay you know so keep doing good
1: metaphors (laughs) (laughs) well brian it was awesome to have you on the podcast and uh we wish you the best of luck with everything recorders got going on
0: yeah appreciate it guys you as well have a good one yeah thanks so much
1: Sorry, guys. Oh,
3: that's okay, man. You, do, you take your time.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. We're just you're just the host.
1: <laughs> I, I I have to my car. Yeah. They're not gonna give me my car back until I pay for this. What and, happened to your
3: car? Did it freeze? It,
1: no, we're just getting uh getting it detailed before we drive to the cabin today. And sorry. really, oh, nice.
2: we're we're holding this whole thing up so you can make your car look pretty. <laughs> I mean, I mean. <laughs> That's something I would do, and I'm not even doing that.
3: You know what, Co-host, Um <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need to bring pull it together, guys. Okay.
2: All right. Wait, hang on. Hang on. I, I, I need to get a massage. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay.
0: <laughs>